Again, we welcome you here today, whether you're in person here in our traditional space, or watching online, or joining us from upstairs in our modern worship service space. Uh, we're in a, a, a relatively new series, Hooked. Uh, it's called Everyday Evangelism. And I want to thank Pastor Lindsay last week for kicking this off. She did such an awesome job. My family and I were away uh, for a long weekend, and uh, she introduced to us that Jesus said to his disciples, very first disciples, and also said to us that we are to be fishers of people. He called fishermen to go out to fish for people to share the good news of God with them. And Jesus also gave us the great commission in the, in the stories in the Bible, and he said for us to go out and to make disciples of all people. And so Pastor Lindsay walked us through that last week in such a masterful way. And that's what we're going to be focusing on over these uh, next couple of Sundays is... How do we share our faith with other people, especially when for most of us that seems really out of our comfort zone? So what does that look like in our lives? Um, in our home where my family and I live, we live in a cul-de-sac in a community uh, that has a lot of children and families. And it's a blessing to see all these kids running around our yard and other yards playing basketball and football and hide-and-seek, and, seek and all, you name it, they're doing it, riding their bikes, all that sort of thing. Looking forward to Halloween, all these costumes going to be parading through our neighborhood. Uh, but one thing kind of unites the kids in our neighborhood, and it happens, you know, in the summer, maybe once or twice a month, um, it's when the ice cream truck comes through, right? And it's this big, beautiful van, it's got all this music, you can hear it coming all the way down from the very front of the neighborhood, and um, and we have some neighbors next door, uh, one's in kindergarten, the other's uh, a couple of years behind that. Uh, and these two little boys will come over and they'll grab Luke and Nathan and say, ice cream, the ice cream truck's coming, let's go get some ice cream. And I'll show my age, I don't know if many if you have ever seen Eddie Murphy, the stand-up comedian, when he first started out way long ago, one of his first opening comedy things was about the ice cream truck. Now, I can't share all of that today because he says a lot of bad words in that. Uh, but he talked about that. Like when he was a kid and the ice cream truck came, he said, ice cream, ice cream, mama, throw me some money out the window. The ice cream truck is here. And all the kids would run and go to the ice cream truck. And maybe you have one of these come to your neighborhood as well. And so it's a beautiful, unifying thing to see all these kids, whatever they're doing, playing basketball or football or riding their bikes, they all come together and say, hey, look, let's go get some ice cream together there's something great that we can share in and it unites them and they become little ambassadors for the ice cream truck and mom and dad have to fork over way more money than the ice cream cost in the store right but it's worth it to see this happen well 97 percent of followers of Jesus believe that the most important thing that can happen for anyone is to find a relationship with Jesus. Pastor Lindsay shared that last week. 97% of us who follow Jesus think that the best thing that can happen to somebody who doesn't know God is to find God. And 97% of us think that it's our role as followers of Jesus to share the good news with other people. The word is evangelism. It's an intimidating word, but it simply means to share the good news of Jesus. Now, I don't know what the other 3% thinks more important than that. I'd like to find out. But anyway, for most of us, 97% think it's important for people. The most important thing to know is to share Jesus and for people to find Jesus. Pastor Lindsay also shared that less than 1% of us who follow Jesus believe that we have the gift to share our faith. Right? So we think it's important. We just feel ill-equipped to be able to do that. And so that's why we're focusing on the next couple of weeks 
what does it look like to share our faith in a way that's genuine and keeps us kind of, you know, a little comfortable where we're not thinking we have to grab a microphone and go stand out on the street corner and start telling people they're going to hell, right? That's not what evangelism is all about. So what does that look like, sharing our faith? So I want to go right to the source itself. I want to go to Jesus himself. And so we're going to go into the Gospel of John in the New Testament. And this, what's happening is uh, John the Baptist, who is Jesus' cousin, has been tasked by God to prepare the way for Jesus to come. So John the Baptist has been preaching about Jesus coming, and so now the moment's arrived and Jesus finally shows up, and it's this moment where John and Jesus' cousins are side by side, and, and Jesus is going to teach us a little bit about what it means to share our faith. All right, so let's see what's happening between Jesus and John. All right, the next day, again, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the Savior, the, the Messiah, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? If Jesus said to you, What are you looking for? What would you say back to Jesus? They want to know where Jesus is going to stay. And he said to them, Come and see. Right? We highlighted those words, come and see. This is going to be very important today. Come and see. Will you say that with me? Come and see. They came and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, who's going to be one of the twelve disciples, Simon Peter's brother. Simon Peter's going to be the leader of the disciples. And he first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior. And he brought him to Jesus. One brother said to the other, in a relationship of trust, come and see Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John? You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Come and see what's going to happen. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So Andrew and Peter and Philip all lived in the same area. Now Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? That redneck podunk place. Right? You're telling me you found the son of God in Nazareth? I got to see this, right? Now Nathanael is going to become one of the twelve disciples. Philip said to him, Come and see. You doubt this? How can anything good come out of that bad town? Come and see. So Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. I don't know about you, but it seems like Jesus had a sarcastic side to him, right? <laughs> Here's the only Jew in all of Israel who has no guile in him. It seems sarcastic to me. It's kind of funny, right? Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You shall, see, you shall see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. So from the very beginning, as we think about sharing the good news of Jesus, it's as simple as saying, come and see. Come and see Jesus. My brother, 
I found something special, better than an ice cream truck. Come and see Jesus. Nathaniel, I know you doubt. I know you doubt. I know, you, I know you're not wanting to believe this, but come and see for yourself. Come and see. So now I want to fast forward to later in the story of the Bible. So Jesus has done his earthly ministry. He's been crucified on the cross. He's come back to life. He's gathered his disciples together, and he's ascended into heaven, and he sent the Holy Spirit to be with the disciples. And Peter, the one who was invited to come and see, preaches a message. At the end of that message, 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus, and the church is born, right? The church that we still are a part of, right? This happened on a Sunday called Pentecost, right? And so 3,000 people, right, in Jerusalem, new people are, are starting to worship God. So let's see what they do about spreading the news of Jesus. We're going to be in the book of Acts, right? We're going to be in Acts chapter 2. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, right? The original disciples were teaching all of these people and other people about God and to fellowship, right? Hanging out together, right? To the breaking of bread and to prayer. They ate together. They prayed together, right? Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. The apostles were doing miracles. And all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They took care of each other. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. The temple was like the national church of Israel. It's where people went to go, right? It's this big kind of churchy looking place, right? So they met there, right? They also broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So they went to church, but they also did church at home, right? So they went and, and, as, and as the gospel spreads out across the world, there's no big church like they have in Jerusalem. So it mostly shifts to the home church, Right? So they broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, how do you think more people came to come to know Jesus, either at the temple or in the homes? Right? Maybe some of them just heard the buzz. Like, there's something going on. 3,000 people are doing something. Let's just go figure this out for ourselves. They hear the buzz and they can do it. I think that happened. But I also think that a lot of these people, these thousands of believers, right, said to the people that they worked with, that they went to school with, that they hung out with, that, that they said to them, hey, I want you to come and see this Jesus. Come to my house. We're having a meal tonight. Come to my house. We're praying. Come to the temple courts. I want you to hear this guy Peter talk about Jesus. Come and see. So from Jesus and the original disciples to the beginning of the church, Evangelism, sharing the good news, boils down to three words. Come and see. Come and see Jesus. Right? That's a great example of what we're called to do. And I think all this has a couple things in common. Right? Evangelism for Jesus, evangelism for the early church, was relational and invitational. Right? It happens between people that we know for a long time, like the two brothers, or it could be someone that we just meet that is saying, hey, you won't believe what's going on, right? So that's relational and it's invitational. Come and see. Come to my house. Come to the temple. Come to church, right? Come and see this Jesus. We have some kind of relationship. We have some kind of invitation, right? Some kind of combination there. And it, that, that's as simple as it is. Right? Now, today I know we're a little hesitant, right? Because in our world, they say that there are two things you're never supposed to talk about. What are they? Politics and religion, right? And, and at the surface level, that sounds like good advice. If you don't want to get in a fight with somebody, don't talk about politics, don't talk about religion. 
right? Because it's, it, gets, it gets ugly, right? I was reading an article by a guy named Kerry uh, Newhoff, uh, who's a big church kind of person and does a lot of stuff. And I liked what he said. He's like, you know what? We need to talk about religion and politics, especially as followers of Jesus. Because look at our nation. Right? It's so divided. What's it divided over? Religion, politics, right? Money, all kinds of stuff. If we're not talking about religion and politics in a safe place, then how are we going to move together as a nation? Right? And so he said, right, rather than thinking about religion as specific beliefs, like do you believe that you have to be baptized by immersion or you can do it by sprinkling, you know, where we get in fights and stuff in churches, right? Think of religion as what gives meaning to your life? Why do you exist? Why are we here, right? We need to talk to the people that we care about about the most important things in our lives. What gives you meaning in your life? Why are we here? What are the, what's the big picture all about? That's what religion pursues, right? For us, it's life to the full, right? And politics, don't, don't talk about who you're going to vote for, whether you're Republican or Democrat. Or, let's look at the bigger picture. What's politics, right? How do we live together in a society? That's what it is. How do we live together in society, right? What else is politics? How do we properly use power and authority to live in society. The people that have power and authority to make decisions, how are we supposed to use the power and authority to live together? That's what politics is. And we need, to, we need to talk about meaning. We need to talk about how to live together. We need to talk about the proper use of power and authority. Well, let's focus on the religious side today, what gives us meaning, right? Because ultimately, what Jesus and the early church were doing, were saying, come and see something that will change your life. Come and see the meaning of the universe, the meaning of the world, right? It's Jesus. It's a personal relationship with Christ. It's, it's living life to the full, right? And so what we are supposed to do as evangelists is say to people, come and see Jesus. How do we do that? We do it in many ways, right? And we're going to talk about some of those today. And I want you just to filter, like, what, what can you cling to and what do you just need to kind of let go, Right? What, what, what's God saying to you today? I think one way that we say come and see is we do just like the Acts 2 church. We invite people to come to church. Just like the, the church started in the New Testament, the book of Acts, we worship God together. We pray together. We read the Bible together. We have small groups together. We gather in homes together. We serve people. We help feed hungry people together. Right? All the kind of churchy things that you think about, that's what we're supposed to do. And we as a congregation are supposed to come together and do that with excellence. We all have gifts and abilities to, to do amazing things that we would want people to come and invite people to here so that they could find out who Jesus is, right? So just like the, the early church, come and see worship, come and see prayer, come and see small groups, come and sing, right? Come and serve, come and be together. Because every human being that's created has special need, or, or needs, right? And I'm, and I'm going to use them with three B words, right? Look at these three B words. We all need a place to belong, right? We all need a place uh, to be known, right? We, people know who we are, right? Hey, Kyle, I know you. You're married to Laura. You've got Luke and Nathan are your sons, and uh, your parents are here today, right? Like, we, people want to, to be known. They want a place to belong, and people want to become, right? This, they might not be able to articulate this, but people have something... Um, uh, uh, a need down deep to become the people that God created us to be. Now, a lot of us don't have that vocabulary to identify that, but that's a need that we as followers of Jesus are called to help people understand. You have a need to become the person God created you to be. Let me introduce you. Come and see Jesus. Right? That's why we built this entire campus. Right? That's why those of you 
who grew up in this church or loved this church for 50 years took the risk to tear down your church where you were baptized and married and had your kids come and have potluck suppers and go to youth group and Sunday school and, and you had funeral services for your loved ones who were gone. You said, we're going to tear that down and rebuild this campus into a mixed-use development so we can reach people for Jesus. So that it can be a place where the church is the center of culture, right? An intersection, a crossroads, a hub where people live and eat and work and play and shop. In the middle of that is the church. You were so bold. You were such risk takers for Jesus. We did this to say to the world, come and see who Jesus is. And so we do that. We worship. That's what we're doing today. We also have radically shared our space with the community. If you saw the newsletter article that, that I sent out this week that, that Brad published, right? it listed some of the ways that we're inviting people into space to come and see that Christians aren't a bunch of crazy people, right? So we've had a karate class here. We've had a speech pathologist. Uh, we're going to have a Chinese school meeting in our church throughout the week. Uh, we have community groups, concerts. Uh, some kids are going to come and do a, a production of 101 Dalmatians, right? We've got all kinds of fun things happening. We've got a business group, a financial group is going to come and have a corporate meeting here. The Republican women are going to start having lunch here every month. Uh, and by the way, Democratic women, you can do that too. We're open to both sides, right? Independents can come. We'll even let men come, whatever your political leanings are, right? We need to talk politics. We need to talk religion, right? We are radically sharing our space with the community, so that we can get to know them and hopefully help point them to Jesus. That's your vision that you received from God. And we are living into that. And I'm proud to be a part of that with you. Right? Come and see. Now, there are some challenges. Right? The 20 years before the pandemic hit America and the world, worship attendance in America declined every year for 20 years. Right? Our culture has been moving away from Jesus and moving away from coming and seeing Jesus in the institution of the church for over 20 years. Then the pandemic came. Right? After the pandemic, we come back into our churches, we come back into our new church, and most every church in all of America lost between 25 and 45% of their active members. 25 to 45% of our active members, right? And the hard reality is, folks, those folks are gone and they're not coming back, and that hurts. And we all... Or smaller. We all have fewer people. We have fewer resources, right? And we're worried about that. But God's not through with us yet. The church has gone through this in the course of 2,000 years, ups and downs and ups and downs and ups and downs, and God's going to help us figure out how we reach a post-pandemic world for Jesus. So don't give up on that. Kerry Newhoff, that guy that was talking about religion and politics, he also had a statistic in there that said, even with the decline in church membership post-pandemic, that more people are in churches on Sunday mornings than all of the people throughout the week who attend sporting events and go to the movies all combined together, right? Church still outnumbers that. Why is that? Because people need to find out what it is that God calls them to become. There's a hole inside of us that says we need God. We still need to seek that. So that is the hope for the church. Another thing that I think Christians are called to do is to say to, to the world, come and see 
that the people who follow Jesus, we're not a bunch of kooks and crazy people. Right? We're, we're people like you. We eat and we sleep. We go to work. We, we have joys. We have weddings and uh, births. And, and we also have struggles. We, we struggle in our marriages. We struggle at work. We're struggling financially, right? We're real people just like you. We've just kind of figured out that there's some help for us out there, and that help is Jesus, right? So some of the things that we're called to do are not religious at all. It's just social gatherings where people who follow Jesus can be around with people who don't follow Jesus that might help us develop relationships where we can then invite people to know Jesus. That's why in our congregation we have things like the Wednesday night supper that's coming up. Uh, that's why we have Super Bowl parties here. That's why uh, we have book club. That's why we have uh, um, a bridge club. Right? That's why our students go and play laser tag and disc golf. And we go to see the Charlotte Knights play baseball. And we go to see the Charlotte FC play soccer. Right? We, we look for opportunities to gather together socially to establish relationships with people who don't know Christ so that we can show them that we're not a bunch of crazy people, but that God loves them and we can be in relationships. So that's an important part of what we do. And we'd love to hear what you th- would like for us to do to help invite people in your circles to come to so that we can get to know you. Here's a really cool story. Somebody in our church approached me uh, last month and said, Pastor Kyle and our family, we love to play pickleball. You guys know what pickleball is? It's kind of like tennis, but it's on a shorter court, a different ball and kind of stuff. But it's like the rage in America right now. People are playing pickleball, and they're going to have a professional pickleball league, and all this LeBron James is going to sponsor a team in. And that. anyway, he's like, we want to have you and some people from the church over to play pickleball at our house. We'll have a cookout, and we're going to invite some people who don't really know who God is, and we're going to have everybody mixed together. And I'm like, that is a beautiful vision. That's a New Testament vision. Right? Do what you love to do. Invite some people who are followers of Jesus. Invite some people who are not followers of Jesus, and see if you don't establish some relationships. Right? Evangelism is going to be being playing pickleball for Jesus, Right? That's attractive to me. I mean, it might not be for you, but what do you do? Invite people who love the Lord. Invite people who don't yet know the Lord. Get them together and see what happens, right? I think that's a powerful way. Come and see. Come and see Jesus. Come and see people who love Jesus, right? It's an invitation. It's a relationship. It doesn't have to be scary. Do what you're doing already. Just invite some people to be a part of that. As we think about as our congregation is placed here. Like, who are the people in our community that, that God is calling us to reach? Right, the United Methodist Church, of which we are a proud member uh, as, a, as a congregation, right, gives us a lot of tools, some demographic tools that are based upon the U.S. Census and all kinds of stuff. And, and, the, and they kind of break down people into groups, you know, like you know, this group of people, right, they, they think this way, these are the things they like to do. And it, it says, you know, if you want to reach them for God, then your worship service should look something like this, or your, uh, your discipleship process should look something like this, or your hospitality should look something like this, your children's ministry should look something like this, right? So this is very important data for us as we think about who we want to meet and who the people around us. I want to show you some statistics here. This, is, uh, this uh, first one is the top 10 groups of people who live within a three-mile radius of the church. Now, you can see on the, on the right side, you know, we got one group, the, the, what they call power elite American royalty. I'm not a big fan of how they, they categorize these things, but there's 23% of our, our three-mile radius of people kind of fall in this group. You know, they work certain jobs, they think certain ways, they want to see certain things in church, that kind of thing. So there's 10 groups right there 
right? Now, if you shrink that down to a five-mile radius, right, that changes to this, there are two new groups that pop up, right? This jet-set urbanites and the urban edge, right? Young city solos, power elite, right? People who are wanting to live in an urban place, probably the people that live in these apartments right here, right? And so they have certain needs that, that the church could meet, right? And this is good data. It's helpful information. The challenging thing for the leadership team, the challenging thing for me as a pastor and our staff is, of these 12 groups, who are we trying to reach, right? Because we can't reach all of them effectively. It's impossible, right? So do we pick one or two? Do we pick three or four? Who picks that? And what about the people who live outside the three-mile radius? There are a lot of us who live outside the three-mile radius. Do we chop liver? No, we're not, right? So this is the challenge, right? So when we offer, like, social activities or we offer, you know, uh, events, right, who are we trying to connect with the most? This is the challenge. What's good news is that they summarize, like, this whole area into like 15 things they say these are the 15 things that you should look into that people in your community are interested in don't have time to go through all these today but like number one thing is warm and friendly encounters right so if you want to be an evangelist for god be warm and friendly right when people come into our campus don't be grumpy or mad right be warm and friendly there's a time to be grumpy there's a time to be mad right but not on sunday morning right when you're welcoming new people right Quality sermons, right? That's on me, right? That's, that's on the staff that help hold me accountable, the leadership team, right? The opportunities to develop personal relationships, right? Relationships, most important thing in life, right? Jesus was relational. He was invitational. Opportunities for volunteering in the community. People in our community want to give back, right? The church should be the place that says, you want to give back? Come feed hungry people with us. Come work in the elementary school with us, right? So there's a list of 15 things. That no matter what, which 12 groups you're in, these things are things that we're focusing on. So the leadership team and the staff and I, we pay attention to this. Right? And, and we try to do some of this that reaches people in those groups. Now last month, Pastor Lindsay and I had a class called Next Steps. It's a one-day, kind of a two-hour thing where we meet with people who are new to the church. We have lunch together. We talk about the church, and we try to get people plugged in. It was a beautiful meeting. We had about 11 people come, and in that group, we had such diversity, right? Different age, young and old. We had different skin colors. We had different ethnicities. Uh, we, we had male and female, and it was a cross-section of those groups that I showed you up there. And I think that brings God a lot of joy, that we're not saying we want to be a church for one group only, right? That's kind of boring, and that's kind of what America is, right? We only hang out with the people who look and think and act like us. Shouldn't we open the door to more people, right? And so that's what we're trying to do. And we would welcome you to help us figure it out, right? So we, we're trying a lot of activities now that we've been back in the building, right, for the first time. What works, what doesn't work, right? So thank you for your patience with that, right? Do what you do. Invite somebody to come and do that with you, right? One other thing that we can do is one-on-one -on -one just be available to your friends and family to let them know that you love Jesus, right? So that in their life, whenever they feel that tug or pull, like something great happens in their life or a tragedy happens in their life or just a question, they're like, you know what? Sue, she's, she's the Jesus person in our group. She's always going to church or talking about her youth group. Or, right? I got a question I think I'm going to ask Sue because we have a relationship. She's the Jesus person in her group. I grew up the son of a pastor, proud of that. My parents, again, are here today, uh, studying to be a pastor even in college, and so I was in a fraternity. So, like, whenever 
one of my fraternity brothers had a question about life or a big picture of God or needed to get married or something, they called me, right? Be the Jesus person in your group. I just had a conversation yesterday with one of my fraternity brothers. We're both over 50 now. He lives in Las Vegas. I live in North Carolina. We've reconnected. We talk about God. We talk about life. It's a beautiful thing. Be the Jesus person in your group and be ready when people have questions. You don't have to have all the answers, but you can listen. You can say what Jesus has done for you in your life. You can invite them to come meet me or Pastor Lindsay. You're part of our staff, right? If you're the Jesus person in your group, someone's going to come to you, and God's going to give you the words that you need to comfort them, right? Now, what happens if we invite somebody to church, and this happens? I love this cartoon. This is by Bill Keen, Family Circus. This little boy's praying. He says, we went to your house yesterday, but we couldn't find you. <laughs> Where's God? We came to church, right? Couldn't find him, right? Came to small group, came to Sunday school, came to the Panthers game, couldn't find God. What happens, right? We feel this pressure that we have to be the ones to save somebody, right? I want to show you another passage of Scripture. This is one of the passages of Scripture that influenced our church, Right, why we built this campus, this woman went to get water at a well. She didn't go to the well to find God. She did an everyday activity. When she went to get water, she met Jesus. He changed her life. This is John 4. This inspired what we've done to do to our campus. Right? So after that, she goes out and she tells everybody she knows or doesn't know about what just happened. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Right? You had a great encounter with Jesus. You invited us to see Jesus. That's awesome. But now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Right? It's not our job to be God, but to point people to God. That woman didn't save anybody. She just shared her story and said, come and see Jesus, right? She did her part. Now it's between Jesus and it's between the person, right? It's not our job to be God. It's our job to point people to God. Well, I'm scared to invite somebody to church. What if Pastor Kyle preaches a terrible sermon or, right, or the choir messes up the, the hymn, you know, or, or Cole and the band just blow it upstairs? What if I invite them to youth group and Chris is mean to them, right? Right? Because he's the mean one, not Nikki, right? right? We have all these excuses, right? But where do we trust the Holy Spirit? Do we trust the Holy Spirit? I remember when I was an intern studying to be a pastor, and I preached a sermon that in the middle of it I knew it was going terribly. And it could have been the worst sermon I ever preached. And in the, in the receiving line, I wanted to shake people's hands and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> Y'all going to expect that today too, right? Um, and this man came through the line. He's this big hulk of a man, and he was crying. He said, that's the best message I've ever heard. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to join this church. That wasn't me. That was the Holy Spirit. Trust the Holy Spirit when you invite people to come and see Jesus. It's not your job to be God. Let God be God. You just point them to God. So what's the point today? What's the big idea? What's the takeaway? I think it's as simple as what we've been talking about. Invite someone you know to come and see Jesus. Invite someone you know to come to worship. Invite someone you know to come to Bridge Club. Invite someone you know to come to youth group. Invite someone to, you know to come to Pickleball with a bunch of Christians and, and other people who aren't Christian, right? Invite someone you know to come and see Jesus. And the other thing that you can do as followers of Jesus 
is help us make this a, a hospitable, welcoming place where we know people's names, they feel comfortable here, we do quality ministry where people are not embarrassed to invite people to. Help us do that. Let us know what it is that you'd like people to be invited to and, and then volunteer to help us do it, right? Don't just give us the idea and say, okay, run with that, Chris, run with that, Kyle, right? Help us do that, right? So a couple things I invite you to think about doing is action steps, right? Invite someone you know to come and see Jesus, right? You knew that was coming, right? Help us be a hospitable place, a place where people can come invite people to, right? And then expand your circle. This is the hard part for Christians. Well, I'd love to invite somebody to church or to bridge club or to pickleball, but all the people I know are Christian, right? That's great. But you've got to expand your circle, right? It's our job to be in relationship with people who don't yet know Jesus. And it's probably not that hard. Probably people you work with, that you live around, in your family, right, in your neighborhood, go to school with, right? So expand your circle, right, to say, come and see Jesus. Let me leave you just one thing. The most important thing is, is the motive of why we're doing this, right? Remember, I talk, talked about Eddie Murphy and the ice cream thing, right? Ice cream, ice cream truck. Well, later in that thing, he gets ice cream, and some little boy doesn't get ice cream. And so Eddie Murphy's like, I got some ice cream. You didn't get none. You can't afford it. You remember that, right? So, like, he is celebrating that he's got ice cream and that somebody else doesn't, right? Now, I know our church doesn't do this, but sometimes in, in the Christian world, we do the equivalent of, I got Jesus, you don't have him. I'm going to heaven, you're going to roast in hell, right? <laughs> None of y'all do that. Thank you for not doing that. But some churches do that. I think for us, the danger is, I've got Jesus. I've got my church. I got my Sunday school class. I got my small group. I got my youth group. I got my seat in the sanctuary. Don't sit in it. I got the songs that I like to sing. I got the songs I like upstairs in modern service, right? I don't care if anybody else has Jesus. I got him. That's dangerous too. And some of us say, well, yeah, we need to grow the church, and we need more people, and we need more people to serve so I can stop serving. We need more people to give so I don't have to give as much money, right? That's not why we do it. We want people to come to South Park Church, be part of our family, yes. But I'd rather somebody find Jesus and go to another church than not know Jesus at all, right? I think the motive is important. Let me ask you this question. Why are you here today? What are you looking for? What meaning are you looking for? What meaning have you found here? What, what brings you back and back again? Maybe you're here for the first time and you're looking for Jesus. And we're glad you're here, right? But what is it that brings you back here that, that anchors you? There's something connecting you to God here. Don't you want that for somebody else? Don't you want that for your family? Don't you want that for your friends? Don't you want to be in heaven with your family and your friends? Don't you want that for the people that you work with, the people that you go to school with, the people that you live on the block with, Right? Just like those little boys who live next door to our, our, our kids. Ice cream truck's coming. Nathan, Lukey, come get some ice cream with us. They're not hiding the ice cream truck from Luke and Nathan. They're saying, come get some ice cream with us. We got Jesus. Come and see Jesus. He'll change the world. He'll forgive you. He'll give you life to the full. Let's get Jesus together. Invite someone. To come and see Jesus. The same Jesus that has changed your world. 
is needed by our world. Come and see. Amen.